Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. Last week we looked at favor. We've been in this series, Lie to Life. And... Uh, Last week, we, we talked about favor, understanding God's great love and favor toward us changes our perspective, and that has an impact and, and can really change our life. So uh, this week, we're in another of uh, the F words, and today I'll be talking about future. The Lord has a specific plan for each and every one of us, and you you may have thought about this, but we have the same mighty power living in us that raised Christ from the dead. And through Christ, you are empowered to be able to fulfill the great destiny that he has for you, specifically for you. So, again, today we're talking about the future. And when, when I've been going putting these sermons together, I've been thinking about often there's a lie with the truth. The enemy will try to present a lie. And maybe you've been told something, uh, maybe by a parent or an influential person in your life, that's a lie, oh, well, you can never do this, or you'll never be good enough, or whatever. But we need to go back to the Word of God and see what God says about us. And, and so a lie regarding our futures, maybe a lie you believed is, well, you've blown it. It's too late. It's all over now. But the truth is, maybe you have blown it, but he has not blown it. And through the power and, and the working of Christ in our lives, you can fulfill, we can fulfill the great destiny that he has planned for us. It's great that, that our, our failures don't negate God's promises. So my first point this morning is the Lord has great plans for all of us. And as believers, there's a common, there's a collective a purpose and plan that God has for us. He, he wants us to all come into this relationship with Him and uh, grow in Him and be connected to Him. So that's a purpose and plan for all of us. And uh, I did a little bit of research, and they say there's 8 billion people on the planet living. And God has a purpose and plan for each and every one of those 8 billion people. And I did a little more research. This is not really related to the message, but but they said that uh, China has 1.42 billion people living in China. And India has, is the second most populated uh, country. It has 1.41 billion people living in India. And India is about one-third the size of China, the landmass. And so you have a lot more people uh, you know, in a smaller landmass area. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how that we support as a church, we as a church, a family support Pastor Mohan in India, where he is training up and equipping hundreds, maybe even thousands of, of pastors there. And we've been there a couple of times and, and uh, to help train up these pastors. And, and so we as a church, we're making an impact, not only here in our community, but globally. And, of course, you know that we send $1,000 a month, every month, to Israel to bring the good news and the gospel to the people there. And then there are other ministries that we support that are more global, that are going to uh, such dangerous places, they, they don't even tell us where they're going. 
because they, their lives could be in peril. So God has a purpose and plan for every person because we're all created by him. And he uses people like us to be able to fund uh, missionaries and, and fund ministries that are helping people come into this relationship with the Lord. So, you know, I'm so thankful that we, we are part of a church body that does that. And I, I think our rewards in heaven are going to be great. There may be people that will come up and say, hey, you don't know me, but I, live in, I lived in India, and because of the, the ministry that you supported, I was able to come to the Lord. Or I was the pastor of a church, and we saw hundreds of, or thousands of people get saved or people get healed or whatever. So we get to be a part of God's purpose and plan that he's doing in the earth as we obey and, and yield to him. And so Christ has, has a purpose and plan for everyone because he is supreme. And uh, when you think about this, God created everything. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the squirrels, the trees, the pine cones. Why did he, why did he create us? Because he, want, he wants a family. He wants a family, and not just for eternity. You know, when we think about living with God, many times we may have this concept of, well, when I get to heaven. But he created us to be in relationship with him now, today. And so I want to go to Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 16, and, uh, or the first part of 16. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Verse 16, the first part of 16, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. And we know that when we go back and read the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it's, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word is referring to Jesus. Everything was created by him, for him, and through him. And in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Clearly talking about Jesus. So Jesus existed before anything was created, and he created everything for him. And he reigned supreme over all creation. Verse 16 continues, For through him God, well, I already read this. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And we've talked about this before, that, uh, that our sin causes there to be a break in this relationship with God. And we're not, we're not saved by our performance, but just like any other relationship, when you get your feelings hurt, when, when I hurt my, my wife's feelings, I'll say, honey, what's wrong? She'll say Nothing. That's, that's a clue. Something is very wrong, right? <laughs> but that, it doesn't have to remain that way. We come back together, and, and normally, like 99.9% .9 of the time, I'm like, I'm sorry. I apologize. And she's very gracious. She's like, I forgive you. I love you. So, you know, the, the point is that God wants us to remain connected to him. And he loves us, and he forgives us. But we have free will. We have a free will to reject Jesus. And even when he was here, the religious leaders, people were rejecting him. They're still rejecting him today. And therefore, he cannot fulfill his purpose and plans to our lives when we reject him or when we say, okay, God, you may have this plan for me, but I've got my own plan. That doesn't work to fulfill his purpose and plans. If we look at Colossians 1.22, yet now, Paul goes on to write, 
He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. You notice he doesn't say he has reconciled you to himself through Christ who died. He said he died in his physical body. We know that he went to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins. But he lives on. The word said, says that he's seated at the right hand of God interceding for us. So Christ is not dead. His physical body died so that he could pay the ransom for us. And verse 22 continues, as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And so we talked about this last week that we have favor. When God looks at us, he's not seeing us as we see ourselves many times. How do we see ourselves sometimes? Oh, yeah, I remember I messed up or I said this or I did that. And when God looks at us, he's like, hey, you're forgiven. Jesus covered that. So we come to him and we say, Lord, forgive me. And he says, it's done. You know, your sins are as far as the east is from the west. And he sees us without a single fault. That's favor. So through this series, Lie to Life, we've been talking about these F words that change the, the, the word from lie to life. And we began with, with faith. These, these sermons are all kind of connected together and building on top of one another, faith. And then we talked about forgiveness and we talked about favor. And today we're talking about the great future that we have, that God has planned for us. So if you missed some of those messages, go back and you can podcast those or watch those online. Colossians 1.23, but you must continue. Who must continue? We must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard this good news. God has called us to this reconciliation, this reconciliation with him. But not only with him, but with other people. We need to be reconciled to other people sometimes. We get crossways. But those relationships are important. And God has placed them in our lives maybe to help us grow and get over ourselves, Or maybe be a little less selfish. Or maybe... To place them in our, our lives so that we could be an example of sharing the, the hope and the love and the forgiveness and the grace and mercy that Christ has for us and for them as well. So we're called to uh, remember to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't be wavering. Don't be tossed about like a, every wind and, and every wave of the sea. But stand firmly in him and don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news, do you remember when you first got saved? <laughs> I love people that first get saved. Man, they're so excited. They're telling everybody about Jesus, and they're like, oh, Joey got religion. No, no, no. Joey didn't get religion. He got a relationship. <laughs> and that changes your whole life because religion doesn't work, right? But it's this relationship that we get so excited about. So you get saved, and you're on fire. But what happens after... A after some time, sometimes we begin to drift away. We lose that fire. And, and Paul is saying, don't lose that fire. Don't lose that assurance and continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. So my first point is the Lord has great plans for all of us. My second point is the Lord has great specific plans for you. Look at your neighbor and say, God has specific plans for you. God has specific plans for you. God has specific plans for you. 
Even in times of trouble, God still has a plan. Around 700 B.C., Isaiah the prophet lived in Judah. And he was telling the people of Judah to turn back to God. Now, you remember that Israel was of a unified nation. And then at some point in time, they split up ten tribes uh, were in the north and two tribes were in the south. Uh, Benjamin and Judah were in the south. And so the, the country was sort of divided. And so there were several prophets that were going to Judah and they were saying, look, you need to, you need to turn back to God. And this was like 700 B.C. And, uh, and, and so a hundred years uh, after I, Isaiah... Uh, let's see, was this, yeah. Uh, yeah, Isaiah was, was like 700 B.C. And 100 years after Isaiah, there were two other prophets in Judah that came to Judah. It was Jeremiah and Habakkuk. And they, they were also giving the same message to the people of Judah, saying, you need to turn back to God. You need to come back to the Lord. And the Lord had charged these three prophets with... Uh, giving them his word to come back to him. And if, when you go back and read the story of Habakkuk, uh, and I'm just going to kind of summarize here, Habakkuk was praying, and he was saying, Lord, why are these people in Judah continuing in their sin and their wickedness? And he's crying out to the Lord. He's like, I'm calling on you, Lord. Why are you allowing this? <clears throat> why don't you do something? And so the Lord speaks to Habakkuk, and again, I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, and he says, don't worry, I have this. I'm going to bring the Babylonians, and they're going to take Judah captive for 70 years. So I'm hearing your prayers, and, and I'm going to handle this. And, and Habakkuk was kind of like, oh, no, uh, well, that's okay, Lord, you, you, let's, let's not do that. Is there another plan? Is there another way that we can do this? Because we don't want to be taken captive by the Babylonians for 70 years. Imagine, well, you don't have to imagine. We are praying at the property every week, except when it's cold and rainy. We don't go out there and pray then. We pray from home. But we're praying every week. We're praying for a Jesus revival. We're, we're praying, Lord, would you pour out your heart and would you, would you bring people back to you? I mean, you look at what's going on in this country. I don't have to explain why we're praying for a Jesus revival. But what, ha what would happen or how, you, how would you feel if, if the Lord began to speak to his prophets and, and people today and says, Okay, yeah, I, I hear you crying out for a revival. And this is how I'm going to do it. You're going to be attacked and taken captive by China for 70 years. What would our response be? It'd probably be kind of like Habakkuk, right? Oh, well, Lord, uh, no, you don't have to do that. We'll, we'll do better. We'll do better. But how would you feel if that's what God did? And what we see here is, is that most nations and empires crumble from within due to moral decay. And you look at this country, where are we? You know, you see churches that are compromising. We are supposed to be setting the standard. People are supposed to be looking to us to lead and, and, and bring hope. But when, 
when the church has moral failure and compromise, and not every church, but think about having a cavity on a tooth. What happens? If you don't take care of that, you can lose that tooth. And I think one of the most disturbing things is we're seeing moral decay in this country. Things that, that God says are wrong or evil or not right, people are saying, oh, well, it's, it's okay. In Genesis, God said he created male and female. In male, uh, male and female, he created them. There's no ambiguity there. And I saw an article recently where a teacher, I think she was in an intermediate school, was being referred to mix, MX. That's not Mrs. or Mr., it's something else. And clearly God has created us male and female, so there's no ambiguity. But that's just one example of the craziness that's going on. Don't call me a he or she, a her, or a, a mother, or, or dad. Don't refer to them with those pronouns. Are we, are we asleep? <laughs> do, we, do we see what's going on around us? And do we see how the world is coming after our children? to try to pervert their way of thinking and getting them to compromise? Well, is it any wonder if we see Christians that are compromising, that are not standing up for the truth? We should be identifying first as Christians. I identify first as a Christian, and I guess if I had to pick something second, a white male, and then as third, an American... But we should not be identifying ourselves as all these other things. First of all, we're Christians. We're believers. And I love this country. And if you've ever gone to another country or lived in another country, you would, you would greatly appreciate what we have here, that we are so blessed that we have the freedom to come and, and worship. But a lot of places don't. You can be killed for sharing the gospel. And you're not allowed to come and worship freely. But... My residency is not in this world. It's in the kingdom of God. That is, that is my uh, uh, residency is in God's kingdom, not here. But we live here. So why wouldn't we want this to be a godly nation? Why wouldn't we want the presence of God? Why wouldn't we want the freedom to come and worship? Because when Israel got taken over by the Babylonians, they lost a lot of those freedoms. And the key thing was that they turned their back on God. And I have great concerns about this nation. Do you know Christians that say they're Christian, but you're like, your life does not reflect that. And maybe all of us have been there at some point in time. And we're all growing, right? God is working some stuff out of our lives. But in Jeremiah chapter 25, Jeremiah is telling the people of Judah, he's saying, for 23 years, for 23 years, I've been telling you, giving you these messages to turn back to God and stop your evil ways. Stop worshiping idols. Turn back to God. And they refuse to listen. Are we listening today? Is the body of Christ open and listening to the Holy Spirit and what he's saying? And so the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and, and he told him that they would be held captive for 70 years. They didn't like that message. They wanted to kill Jeremiah. There was another prophet who was a false prophet. His name was Hananiah. 
And he refuted the, uh, the prophecy of Jeremiah. He said, no, 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 it's not going to be 70 years. It's only going to be like two years. The people believed him. Oh, well, let's see. Who would we want to believe? Two years of captivity or 70? I'll take the two. But he was a false prophet. And the people believed him, I think, because they wanted to believe that, right? And they wanted to kill Jeremiah. And he was the true prophet bringing the word of the Lord to the people. But see, people don't want to change. When we're stuck in our sin and, and all these lifestyles and everything, we want to stay there. But God used a, an enemy of Judah, a pagan culture, to get their attention. And so Judah was taken captive by, by their enemy, Babylon, for 70 years. But Jeremiah writes a letter to the Jews in, in Babylon to encourage them, even though they're going to be in captivity. He says, build homes. You're going to be there for a while, so go ahead and build homes, plant gardens, marry, have children, work, pray. And there's a, there's a, I'm going to get to it in a minute, there's, there's a passage of Scripture that we probably all heard and we, we even quote, but I wonder if we know the backdrop of what's going on when, when we uh, quote the Scripture. So I'm going to give you that, that background right now. So um, in Jeremiah 29, verse 10 through 13, this is what the Lord says. And so again, Jeremiah's writing to the people in captivity. He said, you will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. Speak, this is the Lord speaking to the people in captivity. And then he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Have you ever heard that scripture? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And we quote that scripture, and we even tell people, God has great plans for you. He has has a, a future and, and a, a plan for you. But we, do we realize that Jeremiah is writing this letter and he's telling the people that are in captivity. And so God has a purpose and a plan for them even when they're in captivity. And he's saying, uh, you will be in, in captivity for 70 years, but I'm going to bring you home again. And I have plans for you. I have a plan for you and they're good. They're not for disaster, and they're for a future and a hope. So even when, while we're in captivity, or even while in captivity, the Lord had a future for his people, and the Lord gave them hope. So even when you're going through rough times, you can, we can look to God and not focus on the circumstances or the situation, but look to him and know that he has a future and a hope. He goes on to say in verse 12, Jeremiah 29, 12, in those days when you pray, I will listen. I think they may have been praying before, but maybe it was like, God is great, God is good, and we thank him for this food, amen. Let's eat. But did they really have a heartfelt prayer? Were they really connecting with the hymn? Or was it some ritualistic, legalistic thing that they would do? And, you know, it's, it's amazing that sometimes when we go through trials and tough times is when we reach out to the Lord, right? You know, somebody gets a bad report from the doctor or loses a job or something like that, and they'll reach out to God. Oh, God, I need a job. I need help. And I've seen this happen many times. 
someone comes to me and they say, hey, pastor, will you pray for me? You know, pray with me. I, I need a job and, you know, we're in financial strait or whatever. And so we pray and I'll tell them, look, when, when God provides for you, don't forget him. Remember to return the first of, of your 10% back to him that belongs. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to start tithing and we're going to come to church. They get a job. They vaporize. I don't know what happens. They're gone. And so I think that's maybe what was going on here. But when we have tough situations that drive us to our knees, that, that can be a good thing because we're calling on the Lord. And we shouldn't just be calling on the Lord when we get into a jam. Okay, God, I need some help right now. Imagine you have a friend and you hear, you hear from him, you know, on rare occasion and he calls you up and he says, hey, man, what's, what's going on? And you're like, hey, Brad, how are you? What's happening? Man, I hadn't talked to you in like two years, I think, since the last time you moved apartments. And he's like, oh, well, talking about moving, I, I know you have a truck. Uh, I was wondering if you could help me out next weekend. What if you only had somebody call you when they needed something? What kind of relationship would that be? But what are we like? Do we have a connection with him on a regular basis? Or is it only when we need something? So Jeremiah says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And maybe that's what it takes sometimes for us to get hit, hit bottom, for us to begin to look up and say, you know what? I've tried everything on my own. I really do need you, Lord. I'm wholeheartedly looking for you because I want this relationship. I don't want just what you can give me. I want to have this relationship with you. Connection with the Lord is vital to know his heart and his plans for us. So my first point is the Lord has great plans for all of us collectively, that we uh, have this relationship with him and that we live for eternity with him and that we walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Lord has great specific plans for you that nobody else in the world can accomplish but you because you have those relationships with those people that God has placed in your life. And then my third point is follow the Lord's plans, not your own. It's a choice that we make. Sometimes the Lord's plans are different than my plans. Many times they are. I never thought that, that I would be leading a church. I never planned that. And I'm greatly honored that God has called us to do this. But, you know, that wasn't part of my plan, but I yielded to him. See, I had a choice. I could have said, no, I'm going to stay in industry and make a lot more money than I'm making now. But we yielded to his plan, and we said, you know what? We, we will do this. And God is speaking to you. God has a purpose and plan for you. And it's different from mine and Pastor Christine's and the person next to you. But the key is, are we yielding to him and saying, Lord, I will do this. I will go. I will trust you. Are you going to trust God if you don't have a relationship with him? Are you going to really trust him if you've never seen him, his faithfulness, where you step out in faith and you're like, oh, wow, look what God did exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever ask or think. I've seen God move. So I know that I can trust him. I know that I can Trust him that he's going to bring somebody to buy my house and there's no sign in my front yard. Nobody knows my house is for sale. And I've shared some of these stories with you where God has built our faith, where God has done amazing things through our lives. 
because we just stepped out in faith. Allow the Lord to bring wholeness and healing in your life. Don't allow your past failures or wounds to define you or your future. He makes all things new. When we yield to him and we say, Lord God, use me, fix me, help me, (laughs) heal me, give me patience with my spouse, whatever that looks like. Before he writes this letter in in, uh, chapter 29 of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 17.10, he says, and he's speaking for the Lord here, he says, but I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Do we, do we have this relationship with God where he's like, I'm so pleased. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless them. And again, please hear me. We are saved by grace through faith, not of our works. So I'm not talking about performance for our salvation. But the Lord rewards those who are, are faithful and diligent and obey him. Think about the people that put their lives on the line going out into the mission field. I think they have a special reward coming to them. And I think that we have the same reward when we obey, when God says, I want you to go and support this work. Because we are funding, we're helping them. So we have a part of what they're doing. And so the Lord searches our hearts and examines our motives. Lord, give me a a clean heart. Pure, pure motive, Lord God, that it's, it's not all about me, but it's really your heart and what you desire. That's what I want to do. So I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to consider this question. Do I truly desire to have a relationship with the Lord and yield to him? So ask yourself that question. Do I truly, do I really desire to have a relationship with the Lord and yield to Him. Okay, so you can open your eyes. I remember going to a meeting uh, with a group of pastors, and the theme was discipleship. Like they, they would have these certain themes. Okay, we're gonna, you know, this, we're gonna focus on this, and and they said, okay, we're gonna focus on discipleship, and everybody's, yeah, discipleship. We're gonna go and make disciples, and I'm thinking, what were we doing before that? Um, but then a second thought came to me. It's like, are you sure? Are you sure that's what you really want for your church? Because I think there are a lot of people that say they're Christians, but they really don't want to be a disciple. They'll take a little bit of Christ here and there, but to go full in and say, Lord, I, I yield to you. I commit my life to you. Man, that's a whole other thing there. So do we really desire to have a relationship with the Lord and yield to Him? We don't have to walk through life alone. We don't have to be stranded and helpless because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the same mighty power living in us that raised Christ from the dead. Think about that for a moment. That's powerful. But we need to, we have to stay connected to the source. If you have an electrical outlet, you can light up lights and you can do all kinds of stuff. But if you unplug from that source, there is no power. If they unplug these lights, those lights would be there. And they would have the ability to work. But they would have no power. 
So we have to stay connected to the source. And man, I'm seeing dots right now because I looked at that light. Oh, y'all like have a, never mind. You have like a circle with a, a dot in your face right now. But the point is that we have to stay connected to the source to operate in the power that God has given us. And, and so I'm still trying to look at my screen here. <laughs> wow. Um, note to self, don't look at those lights again. <laughs> so we don't have to walk through life alone. And Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's talking to his disciples. And, and so he has not been crucified and ascended uh, to heaven. But he's talking about the Holy Spirit that we now have access to. Let's look at John 16, 13 through 14. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he's heard. So the Lord is speaking to us today. Are we listening? Are we really hearing in our heart what he's saying? He goes on to say, and and, uh, 13 continues, he will tell you of the future. The Lord wants us to to know what's going on. I'm not saying that he always gives us the full picture, but there are times when God will give us insight into situations or into people or into our life or whatever's going on because he wants to speak to us. And like Jeremiah and Isaiah and uh, Habakkuk, God was trying to speak to the people of Judah. He was trying to warn them, hey, turn back to me. Come back to me. I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to put you through this. You don't have to go through this. But you have a free will. I'm I'm asking you to turn back to me. And maybe, maybe you're here today and God is asking you to turn back to him. Or maybe you know other people that need to. I think that there is an urgency today that we need to... We need to go out and live this thing out. And we need to share the hope and the love of Christ with people. We need to know the word so that we can give them the word, the truth. Not the lie that they may believe or they may have told themselves, but the truth of what God says. He will will tell you of the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. I believe that God gives words and information to people that he can trust i know people that that move in the prophetic powerfully that maybe god doesn't tell everyone because he knows that they can be trusted with that word that they'll do something with that word think about in 2019 the lord gave me a word we're in a reset before covid hit A year later in 2020, the world as we know it will soon come to an end. The Lord was giving us something, giving us some insight of what was going to be happening. And then in 2021, the Lord gave me another word, prepare. Prepare. Okay, look, people, we're not blind. We can see what's going on. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what the fullness of that word means, but it means that we need to prepare. And I think one of the ways we we prepare is by plugging into him staying connected to the source and then this year are you are you prepared for my return that's what the holy spirit gave me and he said i'm i'm coming soon i don't know what soon means i don't know what that looks like i don't know what the time frame is but god is speaking to us 
the last, the first two words were uh, informational. The last two words that he's given me for us are instructional. Prepare. Are you prepared for my return? Think about that. Are we really prepared? <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit will tell us of the future, and he'll bring Jesus' glory by telling him whatever, he, whatever the Holy Spirit receives from Jesus. And he's, he's speaking to his people, and he's probably speaking to you too. Uh, hopefully he is. But are we listening? So a hundred years before Judah went into uh, captivity, Isaiah was encouraging the people for the Lord's trials to come. And let's, let's go to Isaiah 43, 14. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Okay, when, when you look at, at the Bible, there are many names for God. Yahweh means the Lord. It was a very, uh, it was a word that, that they didn't even necessarily spell out because it was, they felt it was disrespectful to write, write out the whole word. Uh, Yahweh, the Lord, El Shaddai, God Almighty, uh, Jireh, Jehovah Jireh means my provider. And here he says, this is what the Lord says, speaking of himself, your Redeemer. I'm the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And Redeemer is not just a name, but it reflects his character. The Holy One of Israel, the Redeemer. I, the Lord, the Redeemer. So we see that he redeemed... Um, the Israelites from captivity in, in Egypt, right? And many times we see where they would get into jams and they would have battles and he would, he would defeat their enemies. Sometimes he would just tell the praise and worship leaders to go out and worship, just begin to play, and the enemy would begin to slay themselves. So he would redeem them. We have redemption through Christ. He's redeemed us. So when he says he's the Redeemer, that's not just a name. That is a, a characteristic or an attribute of God. Christine's name means anointed. It means Christ follower. And I see her live that out. She is anointed. She's a great teacher. But also she's a great example of Christ follower. So uh, when, they, when they named Elias Valor, they prayed about the name to give him. Perfect name. And so whenever you're naming a child, maybe you ought to consider uh, your name. But, but anyway, the Lord can take, even, even if you've got a bad name, God can take that and he can transform your life. <laughs> and I don't know what a bad name would be, okay? But, you know, our identity, our, uh, uh, the, our, the way we identify should be is through Christ. And uh, he makes all things new. But Isaiah 43, 14 through 19, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. And, and so this was like 100 years before they got taken into captivity. So he's letting them know the Babylonians are not getting out of this. Okay? But I'm using, I'm going to use them to bring you back to me, to turn your hearts back toward me, but they're, they're going to they're gonna pay for it eventually. And then he says in verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. He created Israel. There was no Israeli nation, but he said through Abraham, uh, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he says, uh, Israel's creator and king, 
I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. What's he talking about here? He's talking about, one thing he's talking about is when the, uh, uh, the Jews, the Israelites left Egypt, right? He parted the sea. He goes on to say, I called forth the mighty army of Egypt and all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like smoldering candle wick. And so Isaiah is reminding the people of some of the things that the Lord had done in their lives. They knew. The stories had been passed down from generation to generation. Not only were they delivered from and redeemed from uh, uh, being captive in Egypt, but they, they were in the desert for 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out. He always provided for them. When they went into the promised land, he, he defeated their enemies for them. So there was an amazing history that they had of remembering what the Lord had done. And many years ago, the Lord gave me a word for me and I think for my future. And, uh, and it's, it's contained in these next scriptures that I'm going to read. I believe this is a word for us as the Life Fellowship family. But he goes on to write, but forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. He's saying, I did all these things in the past. I drowned the Egyptian army. I brought you to the promised land. And he's saying, but forget all that. I'm like, what, 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 what? It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. Now, I think this is a word. Obviously, it was a word for them. But I think it's a word for us today. I think God is desiring to do something new because the old model is not working. God is wanting to pour out His Holy Spirit and touch people's lives. And He says, For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? For a number of years, I felt like we're stepping over the threshold into something new that God is doing. I sense it in my spirit. And I see how how much it's needed in the world today more than ever that the power and the authority and the dominion and the presence of God is, is so needed in people's lives today. I mean, look at the signs. And I think this is what people are looking for. They're looking for authenticity. Many of us have tried religion. It's dry. <laughs> it's like some old, musty, dried up, crusty bread I want something hot and fresh like some of those rolls we had the other day at Thanksgiving put some butter on there and he's saying I will make a pathway through the wilderness I will create rivers in the dry wasteland I think this is prophetic for us because God is bringing life in dead places and dead people <laughs> God wants to do something fresh. We were created to be alive, not just to exist and go through life, but to thrive. Our future determines the life-giving legacy we leave for others to follow. When, I, when, I, when I'm talking about our future, our future is built on our past, right? To some degree, okay? So I know that if we had things that we need to be forgiven of, uh, we're forgiven of, and that stuff is gone. But I'm talking about, but when we come to the Lord, the things that we're doing, God is building on top of one thing on top of another to some degree. So as we grow in our faith and we grow in our relationship with the Lord and we grow 
in knowledge and understanding of the Word that we can share with others. God is using those things. And so our future determines the legacy that we will leave behind. Our, your life today matters. It matters for you. It matters for the Lord. It matters for others. And so God is doing something new, I believe, and he is partnering with us. He's working through our life to do this new thing. Um, I wanted to give you an example. Most of you know that my, my mom passed. Uh, she was promoted into heaven 14 months ago. And so this year, for some reason, uh, Thanksgiving has been a little diff more difficult than it was last year. I think last year because it was so fresh and everything going on. And uh, so I went to, I went to the, uh, the post office last Wednesday, and there was this older lady, I would say she's probably in her 80s, and she, had, uh, she walked in, and I said, Happy Thanksgiving. She said, Happy Thanksgiving to you. And I let her go in front of me, and she was walking down the aisle. And, and one thing I noticed, she kind of reminded me of my mom. The, her hair color, the length of her hair, the way she was kind of shuffling and walking slowly. And I'd already been thinking about my mom uh, a lot the last couple of weeks. And you know how I've said before that the Holy Spirit will speak to us and give us an idea like, hey, pick up the phone and call. And you, you, you call somebody and they're like, oh, man, thank you for calling. I really needed this phone call. And you're like, well... It wasn't really my thought. It wasn't really initiated by me. It was initiated by the Lord. And so the Lord will, you know, tell us to give us direction on how to bless other people, right? And so I'm thinking about this lady. I go out to my car, and uh, this is going to be kind of weird, but I was stalking an 80-year-old lady. I, I, I was in my truck. I was in my truck, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, wow, I just want to see her. I know she's not my mom right? But I just kind of want to see her because I'm really missing my mom, and she can kind of like be my mom for a few minutes, right? And, and so, uh, so I'm sitting there in the parking lot, and I'm kind of waiting for her to come out, and so she comes out, and I'm like, oh, there she is. Yeah, she really doesn't look like my mom, but she kind of reminds me of my mom. And, and so I had this thought. I carry $100 bills in my wallet, and, uh, and so I, I just wait for the Lord to say, hey, Go bless somebody, and then I'll just go give them $100, right? And so this thought came to me. It's like, go bless her. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll go bless her. So I pull out my wallet, and I pull out a $100 bill, and, and I go over there. And for some reason, I had this, it was kind of a weird sensation. I felt like if I just blessed her, well, we know that when we bless others, we're blessed, right? I mean, you know what that's like to do something nice for somebody, and you feel so good. You're like, ah, Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to bless them, and I receive, you know, from this as well. But it just was kind of weird. I felt like that I wasn't blessing my mom, but it was a, I don't know how to say this. God was just blessing me to, to be able to bless this woman. Okay, I guess that's the easiest way to say it. And so I walked up to, and she had already closed the door, and so I, I, I held out this $100 bill, and she's kind of looking at me through the window, and I said, I'd like to give this to you. And she's, she cracked the door open, and I said, uh, I, I, I just want to give this to you. And she said, oh, I, I can't take that. Uh, you should probably give it to somebody that needs it more than I do. And remember the, the teaching last week, favor, right? 
when God gives us favor, never apologize for God's blessing and favor. And I, and I said, I want to bless you. And she's just looking at me like, why, why do you want to bless me? Or, you know, is, what do you want? You know? <laughs> and so I give her the, the $100 and I, and I say, have a, have a happy Thanksgiving. God bless you. And I walk off. And, you know, my last impression of her expression was kind of like, well, you know, what? And, and so over the, the next few days, I, I kind of thought about this. I processed it. And I thought about Jesus. He gave so much more. He gave it all. And there were people then, there were, are people today that, oh, well, I'm not worthy. Well, it doesn't negate that I want to give you this gift of free life. It doesn't negate this gift of forgiveness for all your sins. Okay, you're not worthy, whatever. Here, take it and receive it. And so I thought about that. And then I, th I thought about how people rejected him then and people reject him now. And then I had another thought. My mom was exceedingly gracious in giving. And uh, I thought, Lord, I... I know this pleases you because you gave me this thought to do this, and I'm doing it, and I'm in obedience. I have the $100 that came from you anyway. It's your money, right? I'm just a steward of it. But I thought how that that would please the Lord, but I thought about how it would please my mom. Because she was like that. And then I had another thought. I thought about how the, the godly examples from my mom and from my dad and from pastors and people in my life have influenced me and helped to shape my life. And so when, when, I, when I made this comment, I don't know if you can go back to slide 41, our future determines our life-giving legacy that we leave for others that follow they have invested in my life. And so my future is kind of shaped by the investment, certainly that the Lord has and is doing in my life, but what other people have done in my life too to example godliness and graciousness and giving. And, and so as I thought about these other people, and, and you too. I mean, it's not just other people. You guys, you guys are part of this shaping of my life so if you don't like the way I am it's partly your fault um, so no but we're all we're all part of the body and and so my fingers connected to my hand and my arm and my wrist and so we have an influence in shaping other people's lives and and I was thinking about what lasting examples are we leaving for those that are following behind us? The shaping and the exampling and the modeling and the love and the examples that we're giving and showing. And I'm, I was thinking about some things, some specific things. I was thinking, is, is my daily time with the Lord a priority? Is reading the Word a priority in my life? Because I know those are things that shape my life. 
and they're probably more of an influential shaping than, than anything else. Is Sunday morning attendance a priority in my life? Is life group participation a priority? These are all things that the Lord uses to, to help build us and shape our life, that we don't forget that we stand strong, like Paul was talking about earlier in Colossians. Are you exampling? Well, let me say it this way. What are you exampling to your children and your grandchildren? Now. Not talking about in 10 years from now. I'm talking about what are you exampling and modeling to them now? You know, the, the standard used to be that people would attend church three or four times a month. Now, I don't even know what it is. Maybe once a month. I know many of you are the uh, you know, exception to that. But my mom's generosity and godly characteristic became part of my DNA or part of who I am because I had an example in my life. And, and uh, I, I realized that not everybody had great parents like I had. But God places people in your life. You have pastors that love you and care about you. You have people in your life group that love you and care about you. We're a family. And my last slide is now more than ever, we need to train, equip, and model and lead others. We're living in a world that's crumbling around us and Jesus is the hope of the world. And I know that, you know, these, these comments can lead to some tough decisions. But if, if we instill in our children, our grandchildren, and our family, uh, in their lives, like, for instance, attending church, like plugging into a life group, like spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, there's a greater probability that they will continue that as they become adults. And, and the world is after our kids, man. We're trying to get them all messed up. If you don't believe it, talk to a teacher, talk to Salema, and, see some of the, and listen to some of the things that she has to deal with. If, if you don't want to do that, just turn on the TV. Just walk around. Just see what's going on in the world today. And so we have the opportunity to invest into the future of other people because of what we lead and model and establish today that they can look at. Because we know that children, and probably all of us, learn three ways. Example, example, example. And what you do in moderation, generally, those who follow will do in excess. So if we say, well, we're not going to church today because we're going to take the day off, we're going to go fishing, or we're going to go do something or whatever, and there's nothing wrong with fishing. But if we don't establish those things in our children at a young age, what do you think they're going to do when they're 18, when they're 25, when they're 40, when they're 55? If they don't have those things established in their lives at a young age, do you think they're all of a sudden going to get it? Well, they could. But there's a greater probability that when we demonstrate and, and example and encourage them to do those things. And I'm so thankful for all of you that are faithful and attending and committing. Um, so my first point is the Lord has great plans for all of us. Saved, unsaved. Now his plans 
require us to be saved and connected to him. But the Lord has great specific plans for you. Follow the Lord's plans, not your own plans.